0: I'm Linda Laurel, creator and host of Our Voices Matter. Why this podcast and why now? Because it's time for us all to take a deep breath and listen. I am a journalist, business owner, keynote speaker, founder of an education nonprofit, wife, mother, daughter, sister, dancer, and lover of life and my country. And like so many of you, I am deeply distressed at the deteriorating level of discourse in our democracy. This podcast is my humble attempt to do something about it, one story at a time. It is my hope that as you listen to and watch the stories of someone you might consider to be the other, that you will somehow see a glimpse of yourself and be reminded of our common humanity. So what do you say? Let's take this journey together. Welcome to Our Voices Matter, a podcast dedicated to empowering us all to better understand each other. Our goal, to replace fear with knowledge, disdain with respect, and hate with love, one story at a time. So let's get to it. I am beyond excited uh, to talk to today's guest, Denise Hamilton, who is the CEO and founder of Watch Her Work. I love that title. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what Watch Her Work is all about, Denise. So I created Watch Her Work to solve my
1: own problem. Watch Her Work essentially is a digital learning platform for professional women, okay. and when I was in corporate America, I've been an executive for about 25 years. I know I started when I was 10, (laughs) but, um, I was the only African American or the only woman in so many different situations that I became kind of a lightning rod for mentees. Everybody wanted to meet me for coffee or can you, can I pick your brain or can we get together? And I was like, wait a minute. Like I can't have coffee 12 times a day. And it really occurred to me that between myself and my peers, how all of a sudden we were in charge of gender equity in the workplace. And I didn't really understand how that had happened, right? So these women that are the tip of the spear, they don't even get to see their own kids. They're now in charge of equality in the workplace. And I felt like we had to create a way to scale mentorship. The, the 150 of us can't mentor the 10,000 behind us. And we need a way to capture this great, incredible knowledge that women have, but, um, do it in a way that is reasonable and inaccessible. Right. So kind of when I started, I had two goals. The first goal was to scale mentorship, but the other goal was democratize access to mentors. You know, mm. the pretty sparkly girl in the high achievers program, she's going to get a mentor. But as women, we can't afford to not have everyone developed. For everyone to have access to this information and it occurred to me that we kept telling women um, you know you have to ask for more money you have to fight for this you have to but we weren't telling them how to how do, do, it. You do how it. do you do what it what do you say yeah. what do you say when you go into this meeting for some people they've been raised to work hard and put their head down so what you're saying to them is completely antithetical of how they've been brought up right. so you've got to help them you got to give them the language you've got to give them the phrasing that's why we use video because you had to see their tone of voice, their body language. Think how empowering it is to, for, for you to see a woman that's five foot one tell you how she establishes authority and gravitas in a boardroom,
0: right? right. Like you have
1: to see that.
0: Um, so basically people, a, a woman could go to your website to watch mm-hmm. her work and pick a topic that she needs some advice on. And there is someone there to Offer that advice. And there are hundreds of
1: women there. So, uh, right now we have about 7,000 videos with the goal of 25,000 by the end of next year. Oh my gosh. And every subject from mommy guilt to asking for a raise, negotiating severance, what do you do when a client hits on you, just everything that you could think about. Because, you know, these are the things that impact a woman's career. Right. You know, if my um, daughter got sick at school, they didn't call her dad, they called her mom. Right. What's the impact of that? As I care for aging parents, if my mom has to go to a biopsy, I'm the one that goes. They don't really expect my brothers to go. Right. Right. So the life things that impact our work, um, I just became really obsessed with that kind of intersection Mm -hmm. and how do we support women and sharing best practices. I also think we tend to marginalize women once they get past a certain age, which is Totally ridiculous because that's where all the genius is. Hello. They know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I want to make sure women don't have to step over the same puddles we already stepped over. Right. So how do I pull that wisdom out of you know
0: that seasoned woman's mind and share it with the next generation? I love your passion. You're clearly so passionate about this. So okay, let's let's talk about your backstory. <laughs> Tell us how you got to where you are now. Where did you grow up? What what have been some of your struggles as you got to this confident, passionate woman that sits in front of us right now?
1: Well, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Jamaica. It's a very interesting time to be an immigrant in the United States of America, uh, but to have a, an American accent, so people have very interesting conversations about immigrants in front of me sometimes, and I have to weigh in on those. But um, interesting, I I. Um, my parents are very simple, humble people, and came here and we worked incredibly hard and as, how old were you when you came to here? I state? came when I was five, five and um but lived in New York City in a Jamaican neighborhood, so I feel like I almost never left jamaica but um uh, you know, my mom worked incredibly hard and was able to buy a house in New York City on a on a telephone operator's salary with three kids. I'm not, I still, I'm not sure how she pulled that off, but um, I learned grit and determination and um, stick to from her. Um, you know, she's got a high school diploma and she figured out how to rebuild an entire life. So when people say to me what they can't do, I'm always, I always have to stop them and say, you know, you're capable of so much more than you think you are. You just need to believe in yourself and let's help you find the tools to do those things. Um, so I went, I grew up in New York city and, uh, went to college in Abilene, Texas, which is, I know a major culture shock. Um, I have to tell you, it's probably the the smartest thing I ever did because I call myself triculturally socialized because I can navigate almost any environment because here I went from immigrant roots, um, lived in a huge city and moved to a small, mid-sized town Mm -hmm. in Texas Mm -hmm. and learned how to appreciate the value and the gifts of each environment. Um, Living here in Houston, I've I've actually lived in L.A. and Miami, um, and I chose Houston. Uh, And people always say, what are you doing in Houston? Why 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 did you choose Houston? Um, I think Houston is a hidden gem. I think it's a secret weapon. Mm. I think it's a very flat city that if you're talented, you can rise to the top. I feel like I'm two degrees of separation from anybody I need to know in this town. And if you have great ideas and you have the ability to execute them, I think there's almost nothing that can stop you. Now, we don't want
0: everybody moving here now, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you because I've been here almost 30 years, and I, you know, I came when I was two. Okay. Um, but but um, I have often asked, asked, or people have often asked me, why am I still here? Why didn't I leave and go? And I grew up in Chicago, right. you know, so why didn't I go somewhere else? I love this city. You're right; it is a hidden gem, and you can do anything here okay. if you, and you can meet anybody along the way that can help you get there. And you're, you're a great example of that.
1: I am. I am. And not, not for lack of trying. I get recruited to move to LA or New York probably three times a week. Really? Um, you know, when you have a tech startup as an African-American woman, they're like, what are you doing there? And I'm like, I'm doing it from here and I'm doing it from here for a very specific reason. If there's one thing we learned in the, in the um, election in 2016 is that there's a middle of the country that feels left out of a lot of our discussions, a lot of our media, a lot of our thought leadership. And I think that is a, that, that's an opportunity. And I like doing this type of project from the middle of the country. Where you're incorporating different ideas, different thought processes, and the, and the most diverse city in the country. In the country, because the, the
0: rest of the country will very soon
1: look like Houston. Absolutely, absolutely. So I kind of pride myself. Even on the site, people say, "Do I pick what the right answer is to questions?" And I don't pick the right answer because what works for you may not work for me. Um, you know, I'm five eleven. I can say, "You need to go in there. You need to tell him." Right. I can pull that off. This four foot nine Asian woman, she mm-hmm. might not be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that people see themselves and hear different ways to handle different conflicts and different issues and challenges.
0: And that's what this podcast is about. I love it. Is about having people um, hopefully be able to see a glimpse of themselves in somebody's story that they didn't know and who maybe looks like someone that they would consider the other Mm -hmm. right so um i want to talk a little bit about about that um you mentioned that you're an immigrant Mm -hmm. and that people don't know that because you don't have an accent Mm -hmm. so they assume you're african-american that you were born in this country so what kinds of uh so you're really a fly on the wall i am okay so what have you heard um and how have you dealt with that? Well, it's been incredibly interesting
1: not being of Hispanic descent to hear the immigration debate framed almost exclusively around Hispanic people. I, like I think it's bizarre because if you, growing up in New York, Russian immigration, Jewish immigration from the from Poland, from armenia, from there there're immigrants from everywhere All over the world. The, the, so the fixation on one part of the world, is fascinating to me. Um, I, don't, I don't frame it that way, so it's interesting to see the whole discussion framed that way. So that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing is um, kind of the, the disingenuousness of it all, right? Like, the, the reality is, is people come here from all over the world and they work incredibly hard, and they do jobs that nobody here wants to do. I mean, let's just be really honest about mm-hmm. it. They mm-hmm. do the 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 difficult, challenging, unsafe, low-paid work that most Americans don't want to do. Our country, our our industries are built on it. Um, think of the construction industry. If, if everyone that was an immigrant left the construction, you'd be waiting a whole lot longer for that yes. house to be built. Absolutely, and, you know, and it's just it's. Let's be honest. Like, why can't we have the discussion in a manner that's respectful and honest and where you say what you really feel? What you really feel is um, competition. And I think it's really interesting for people to, who believe that they're the best. If you think Americans are the best and the brightest and the most, then compete. Then compete. Then it shouldn't bother you. When other people are coming, they're only bringing their contributions to this country. This country is built on their contributions. The founders of some of our biggest companies are immigrants or children of immigrants. A lot of our elected officials are children of immigrants or grandchildren of immigrants. So it just feels like, how do we move this conversation to a place that it's honest, it's appreciative of the contributions, it's acknowledging of the challenges, and focused on solutions.
0: So give me an example of something that you've heard as a fly on the wall that someone has said either to your face Mm -hmm. or in your presence and how you responded to it? Oh, my
1: favorite is they're bringing diseases. Uh, I remember having a conversation with someone about the caravan. Well, I heard that they're bringing diseases like smallpox and leprosy. I was like, oh honey, you're so cute. (laughs) Um, you know, the, the idea that again, why can't we disagree about ideas there's no need to embellish to elaborate if you don't believe in something if you have a disagreement with a policy or a practice say that but you don't have to d- demonize a whole group of people we did when we came here we didn't have diseases we came here and we worked incredibly incredibly hard and um, this idea that we have some advantage when we come here when we come to the United States so my mother who worked as a telephone operator she bought a house in New York City because she had an advantage. What was that advantage? Like please tell me what it was. What she did was she worked hard and she saved her money and she made that commitment, right? Mm-hmm. And and I and I think it's easier to to create otherness, to make them strange. They're they're somehow different than me and you. They're not different in any way that matters, right? And I and I guess I just um I'm just stymied by it. Yeah. You, the, the kind of person that would walk a thousand miles for a better life, that's not who we want in this country. <laughs>
0: right. Listen, that's, that's exactly what we determination, want. Talk about determination.
1: Determination. Grit. grit. Mm-hmm. I'm reading all these articles about grit and determination and how that, and it's like, here's somebody that has it. We don't, there's no place for them here. We can't yeah. figure that out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a really interesting Um, The idea, the idea of ownership. And I feel like this is a great American experiment. Like nobody owns it. Nobody owns it. You you don't have any more claim to it than this person has to it. It's an experiment. experiment. And it's been incredibly successful. And it's been successful because of the openness. That's like the ingredient.
0: Which is what attracts immigrants to this country in the first place. And it's the key differentiator. It's the key differentiator because it doesn't exist like this anywhere else in the world. Yeah. So the idea, well, I'm in, let's shut the door
1: now. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm in, yeah. let's shut
0: the door. Right. I right. just, I don't yeah. know, they yeah. just, I struggle with that. You have a very strong social media presence, <laughs> very strong. And um, a few months ago, you had a really um, compelling and difficult post mm-hmm. on Facebook. And um, you had tremendous response to it. I'm going to ask you to recount that story because I think there are a lot of lessons that our audience will take away from it. Um, so why don't, I won't say anything else. I'll just let you tell people what happened.
1: Okay. So I was driving away from my house. I was headed to a meeting. And I was stopped by a police officer two blocks away from my house. Um, and the area that um, I was stopped in, it's a very nice, it's a na- neighborhood. And he pulled me over and he asked me, what brings you to this neighborhood? And I have to tell you, the question caught me off guard because I was like, freedom? I don't know, <laughs> like humanity, um, uh, the fact no. that I live here, like what?" I'm going home. But I said, actually, I, I, I live in this neighborhood. And he said, you live in this neighborhood very sarcastically very rudely and i said yeah he takes my driver's license he says what's your address like he's testing me mm-hmm. um and i gave him my address And he was so annoyed he was so like upset like Ugh. then he said is this your car is that your car like i mean and it was just so you're obnoxious you driving a-, a a convertible mercedes okay um and and he um this, this is your car. I said, yeah, this is my car. And I live in this neighborhood. And I, and I caught myself because I, I, I was like, you know what? Just be calm. Just like, let's just get this over with. Let him do whatever he's going to do. I take kind of a general practice of not letting people ruffle me, right? Mm-hmm. And he just continued to be nasty and picking at me. And I, I for a second, I thought about my nephew's and I thought I'm I'm 48 years old um I can keep my cool I was infuriated I wanted to yell at him I wanted to curse him out mm-hmm. right and I can keep my cool What does a 17 year old boy do mm-hmm. What does a 21 year old young man do right. right right Just like and I and it just gave me this incredible empathy for the fact that we have shifted the responsibility, the, the peacekeeper, the officer used to have responsibility for keeping the the situation cool, but now it's but now it shifted yeah. to the citizen. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how that happened. So he had me scoot my car up to close to Westheimer so that everyone could see, so that everyone could see that he was doing his job and keeping the riffraff out of the neighborhood. Like he could see me standing up against the car. Um, he kept me there for 20 minutes. Um, and then wrote me a ticket. I feel like he sat back there trying to figure out what he could do because what was the ticket for, um, um, for not stopping at the stop sign. <laughs> no, he he said, you well, you stopped, but you didn't come we to didn't, a complete, a complete
0: stop. stop. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, but I think at that point he was worried because I do live in the neighborhood and this is my car right. and he stopped me and he harassed me. Right. So now he has to kind of cover his basis. Um, So I was, I literally turned around and went home and posted that video because I was so angry. I was so angry because sometimes you think if you reach a certain status or you work hard and you push yourself throughout a situation that these things aren't going to happen to you. And I wanted to share my story because I know I have a strong social media presence. I know there are a lot of people of all races that follow me. And I wanted them to understand it's not just this young guy that lives in a poor neighborhood that gets harassed. It's everybody that gets harassed. And it's not okay when it happens to anyone right. that, that the police are supposed to be an ally, not an adversary. Um, and I was really touched by the response from the, both of the police department and the sheriff's department. He was disciplined and they addressed that situation. But I think that the point, um, that I wanted to make in sharing it was The people that ran to my defense and people who who couldn't believe it happened to me need to have the same empathy and the same understanding when it happens to this young man in third ward or fifth ward or a leaf. They need to have the same emotion and intensity. And if it happened to me, it's happening everywhere. Right. And so um, I, I hope that sharing that experience opened up a few people's eyes to the reality that this is not something that people are making up it's a legitimate experience that they're having
0: of being treated differently because they're African American. Yeah. And whenever someone, you know, accuses us of pulling the race card, you know, it 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 diminishes the actuality of what is going on, absolutely, and um, more often than not, when someone is explaining a situation such as yours, it, you're obviously you're telling the truth. This is what happens, mm-hmm. and we don't just make this stuff out this stuff up out of thin air, and want to be treated, um, you know, want to have some sort of sympathy because of this. Um, there was another incident that you had um in your neighborhood mm-hmm. i'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about that because it's it's slightly di- well it's, it's 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 different but but it has a, a similar kind of context
1: yeah when i um uh, moved into my neighborhood as i mentioned my neighborhood is a affluent neighborhood obviously predominantly white neighborhood um dog feces was put on the car handles of all the car doors in front of our house um and so that was our that was our welcome package. Welcome, to the welcome to we didn't get a, a picnic basket exactly, with banana you know bread. cookies, right? <laughs> right. right? Um, but you know, I I it is funny because my husband says you're so mellow about these things. I, I just have come to a space that I understand how disruptive I am, and I'm all right with being a disruptor, right? So when you make when you make a splash, it's gonna make ripples and things are going to happen sometimes that you don't expect. So I tend to take those things in stride. Even election night on 2016, when Trump won, um, someone put basically a pile of dog feces in front of my, pa- of the driver's door every day for a week. So literally every day when I went to open my car door, there's a pot. Pa- so literally, um, we, so I wasn't even going to call police because I was like, whatever, they're, they're Cooks, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband just finally insisted. He's like, no, we're calling the police. Like, this is ridiculous. And the police officer, when he came, he said, like literally he had tears in his eyes because he said, I cannot tell you how many incidents like this we've had all over the city. Wow. And he said, when I post this report, the news stations are going to call you. She, he said, do not do a story with them. And I was like, why would you want to? At first I was kind of, wait, you want to cover this up? And he said, right now you have one crazy. You post a story, you're going to have hundreds. And the truth of it is we cannot protect you. Wow. Wow. You know, and I think that people, it's harder for people to accept that this happens right now, today. You think of this as something that's in the past, as something that's over. And it's not. It's something that happens
0: right Now And it's happening because people feel emboldened, you know, it's the the truth is that it's that people who have these these feelings have have had them all along, but it's been hidden and they have um, felt that it was politically incorrect for them to be able to express their their true feelings and in in a way that they now feel that they can. And so. What have you taken away from these two incidents that you just described for us? Mm-hmm. What have you taken away from, from those incidents and turned it around into a positive so that it's, it's not impacting your life in a negative way?
1: You know, I look at it, I actually look at it kind of positively, I know everybody's freaking out when I say that. I'm a little crazy. But um, I think it's calcification breaking down. I think that when things are, you know, when you cut open a, a, a pussy, nasty, infected boil or blister, all this nasty just gunk oo- just oozes, oozes out. out. Yeah. But that's the first step to healing and to getting all rid of all of that. Nastiness, right? even all of these things that we see on social media of you know mm-hmm. somebody calling the cops because a black person's at the pool or they're at the Airbnb or mm-hmm. they're sleeping in the dorm room at Yale in the rec room mm-hmm. at yeah mm-hmm. like it's it's we're seeing the the it's a digging out of the rot and the nastiness and the silliness it's being exposed. And so while I hate it, I hate to hear every single one of those stories. Part of me is grateful because we're starting to see the healing part, and it doesn't feel good, you know. It doesn't smell good, doesn't look good, doesn't taste good, but it's good. It's healthy, you know. It's like chemo. It's it's terrible. It's poison. And it's te- but it's going to get you on the other side oh, the other of that side. cancer. Yeah. And so um, these things happen, and and but but I have a thousand things a day that happen that are wonderful and amazing. I have this incredible business that people support in in ways I can't even understand sometimes. And that's people of all races. So I I don't want to ever make the mistake that they're making, right? Uh, These racist, ridiculous people are making the mistake that one person, one group of people, one one, um, is representative of all of these people. It's not, it just isn't. So I don't want to take that sickness into my spirit. There's great people of all races, all colors, all creeds, from all parts of the country. You know, I have a couple rednecks I really, really love. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I think that's really important. And I don't, you don't, you don't, like, address the illness by contracting it. So, you know, let them come. Let them do what they're going to do. I'm always going to be me. And um, me
0: is pretty fabulous. And other people don't get to determine that. I love that. You are pretty fabulous. Just by the way, my mom tells me every day. Every day. <laughs> every day. What do you What do you think are some of the common misperceptions that people might have when they when they see you or look at you?
1: Hmm. What a good question. Well, I think that they assume they um, know me. Well, you know, this is what you look like, so you must have this experience, that experience, that you don't know anything about me. You should talk to me. You should make sure you understand where I come from and what my perspectives are. Um, I think they assume I am super, super, super liberal. And I always think that's interesting, too, because I'm not. I'm actually pretty moderate. I'm pretty um, um, independent. Um, But people think if you are for... You know, these three things, that must mean you are, you know, ready to be socialist. No, I, I think that I have the room in my mind, and so do you, to consider all kinds of ideas. I'm for creativity, creative problem solving, and, and collaboration, and cooperation. That's what I'm for. So I think they assume that. I think that um, they assume I'm much younger than I am. I have a baby face. <laughs> and that, too, has allowed me to be a fly on the wall. Ageism is real Uh, and I'm in the tech industry so I have people have all these conversations with me of like how you know people of our generation we really have to take it over because these older people they don't know what they're doing and they have to and I'm like really how old are you oh I'm 30 I'm 31 yeah Yeah. I'm 48 they're like oh Oh. yeah right right. (laughs) like we are so ageist we've we've become obsessed with innovation for innovation's sake And innovation is not the same as progress. And I think there's a wisdom that you have to have applied to innovation. Otherwise, you have just destruction, which I think is what we've seen. I mean, I think if they had some grown-ups in the room at Facebook, they probably would not have taken political ads in rubles. I'm just saying. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Okay. Like, you need grown-ups to say, wait, just because you can do it doesn't mean you you should should do do it. it? And do we have no checks and balances here? Do we have no? And we largely have an unchecked innovation machine that really amounts to essentially 5,000 people deciding what happens in the whole rest of the world. They're making decisions for billions of people every day with no checks and balances. So I think that that while it's been an interesting um, experience being on a being a fly on the wall on the immigration discussion it's also been a very interesting experience being a fly on the wall in the youth ageism mm-hmm. innovation tech that, that those conversations are fascinating i i love youth youth is awesome but it's you, you
0: gotta have wisdom well and the, the bottom line is that you know we tend to come to situations with preconceived ideas and notions about who someone is or is not based on how they look and what we think somebody who looks like that should believe, think, act, do, etc. And so whether it's, it's a question of ageism or sexism or racism or any ism you can come up with, the bottom line is we have to get to know each other. We have to talk. We have to ask questions. We have to have an open mind and not come to um, a conversation already having decided what, you know, your, your talking points are going to be to refute what comes out of your mouth before you even say it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too, um, you know,
1: I, I speak a lot about diversity in terms of um, women's issues as well as, as issues in the African-American community. And I think something we don't talk about enough is the cost of diversity right yes. so we'll say um, we well, you know companies with diverse boards they have better returns they get better results if you have a diverse team you make better decisions but what we don't talk about is for a lot of companies their priority is to reduce friction is to create efficiencies and reduce friction diversity creates friction It does. There's a cost to diversity. There's a cost that when you um, have a policy and a procedure that you've done for 40 years and somebody raises their hand and says, guys, I don't know, maybe we should do that differently or we should look at that a different way or whatever. Wait, we have to change? There's a cost, right? And so um, they've done all these studies that says that homogeneous teams make quicker decisions And they're happier with their decisions, but diverse teams make better, better decisions. decisions. And what we're not talking about enough is the fact that, you know, it may be some conflict. And that's why I say I'm a disruptor and I'm fine to be a disruptor. Like, it's not easy. It's not easy to incorporate other people's belief systems. Like when you're talking to someone and, and you're asking questions are you really receiving what they're telling you? If you grew up and your whole life um, was your relationship with police was Opie and Andy and the Griffith
0: show, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Andy Griffith mm-hmm. show rather. Andy Griffith. If, yeah. if mm-hmm. that
1: is, if that's your if your understanding of what a police officer is, can you receive when I tell you that we were stopped and sh- and um, uh, searched, searched and yeah. frisked, thrown up against the wall when we were walking home from a party? And so yeah. we don't have that same right. So Can you receive that? Or are you going to spend 20 minutes explaining to me, no, 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 the police are your friends, right? And that's the difference. It's like, how do we teach people that opening has a cost, but you have to be willing to pay it. If you want to grow and you want to be the best possible person you can be, if you want to get to the best solutions, the best innovations, the best creativity, you have to be open to that. I have a dear friend, who was in the room when um, the uh, a, dis- a big decision was made. I used to work for AOL. I used to run marketing promotions for AOL for South Florida. And they created an entire ad campaign um, for AOL Latina. And they translated it into Puerto Rican Spanish instead of Cuban Spanish for an event that was in Miami. Ooh. And one one lone brave young woman raised her hand, and she said, "You guys, I don't, I don't think that this is gonna work. Oh, it's gonna be expensive to change it. Oh, you, nobody's gonna care. Oh, you know, little girl, we got this covered. We've been doing this for this." And they just dismissed her. They put out that collateral, and I tell you what, it was a firestorm the likes of which I had ne- had never seen in a professional environment. The so so you spent millions of dollars to impact a group positively and you had the complete opposite effect and somebody told you not to do it, you know, but again, we don't talk enough about that cost, the price that you have to pay to really listen to somebody. It's why people recruit companies, recruit diverse candidates and they, they leave in a year because it's not enough to just recruit. You have to incorporate, you have to listen to them. You have to hear what they say. When I think about the fact that the biggest um, technological advances of the next 20 years are being figured out right now, AI, facial recognition, facial recognition, and there are no diverse people in that room. Mm. Facial recognition. Wow. I mean, that's yes, crazy. That is crazy. Right? That so crazy. You, you, you look up um, my face and up comes a picture of a monkey. Because the people that are doing those codes and doing, they don't have the same sensitivity to these communities. But guess what? The vast, they're they're making decisions for the whole entire world. So I think it's really important that individually, so there's all these macro issues, right? But individually, we have to start listening to each other. And not listening just so you can formulate your response. But listening, so you can learn, learn, understand, and, and unlearn. Like there's mm-hmm. some stuff you're just gonna have to let go. Right, that is just not true. You think your environment is a meritocracy? Guess what? The NBA in in the 50s they thought it was a meritocracy. It looks a lot different today, huh? Sure does. Sure does. I wonder why? Because mm-hmm. now it's a meritocracy, yeah. right? But so you have to be willing. I think to release your previously held beliefs. And I have these conversations when I go to California and when I go to New York, the reverse of stop assuming that everybody that lives in Texas is a racist, is a redneck, is a, like, we have to just give each other a break and respect each other and listen and try to learn. We go so much farther together than we do apart.
0: Amen, sister. (laughs) That's, That's all I can say. I could... I could talk to you all day long. Um, as we wrap up, uh, tell us what what's next for you and Watch Your Work.
1: Oh, we're having so much fun at Watch Your Work. So um, we're continuing to build the library and we want you to all go to it and use it. You know, you're asking for a raise. Watch all those videos so you can go in there strong and you can get that money. Um, and we are also developing courses right now. Um, we call them toolkits. So let's say you found out yesterday that you're pregnant. Here's a a whole toolkit of information for you. Here's a checklist before you go talk to your boss. Here's a script on what to say. When do you tell your coworkers, Um, How do you handle morning sickness when you're in meetings or you're traveling for work? Um, How do you dress? How do you set a boundary so people don't touch your stomach in the office? Just all of these things that kind of nobody talks about. Right. We're going to talk about it at Watch Your Work. So we have toolkits for your first job, your first executive position, health emergency, if you're fired or laid off, you know, just kind of every situation that comes up at work. Um, Our goal is to be the destination, you know, for all things professional advice for women. Um, we don't want anybody to feel alone or like they have no one to talk to. If you cried at a, at a meeting today because you just got so frustrated that you bust into tears, we want you to know what to do tomorrow when you go into the office and how to take the next step. You can recover from almost anything, but you can't do it alone. So we don't want um, any woman to feel like she doesn't have the tools. And newsflash, 17% of our audience is male. What's that all about? Whoa. Right? Right? Right. And I think it's it's men that want to that want to understand
0: and maybe want to have a better um, a better toolkit to deal with the the women that are in their work environment. That's a good thing. And I love that. That's wonderful. I I literally. Did
1: that surprise you? It shocked me, actually. And it was humbling for me. Right. Um, Because, you know, we we're all in this together. And sometimes I even forget that. Like, we have to be careful. This is not adversarial. Right. Everybody's just trying to do the best they can. And let's figure out how to do that together. So, men, come on in. We, we love you as a member of the Watch Your Work audience. Um, but we have a slew of events coming up for 2019, including our um, retreat. We're doing a Set Your 2020 Vision um, retreat in Bali in um, fall of 2019. And we're super excited about that. And just a host of... Programming. I do my summit every year, so I'll be doing that in August again. And we have a, a pitch competition that's going to happen at the summit this year. It's called Life's a Pitch. Um,
0: <laughs> like that, <laughs> and because
1: it's not a game. Yeah. And as it, as it surprise, it might. I'm sure it doesn't surprise you. Like I have my own particular spin on the pitch competition. So I stay tuned do. for that. I bet you do. So I mean, we're just trying to do things, you know, our way and do mm-hmm. stuff that really helps. There's a lot of information everywhere but um, we try to really refine it and make it more targeted so you can use it otherwise right. it just it's just nice right.
0: I love you doing you you are awesome you are amazing and I can't wait to continue watching. Her work <laughs> and see uh, where it goes because I, I the sky's the limit and you're impacting so many lives. So thank you so much, Denise. Thank and you
1: for having me. Of this course. Is amazing.
0: Well, of course. And I want to thank our audience for taking time to to share their day with us and for giving our guests permission to speak and for you, the audience, having the courage to listen with an open mind because that's what this is all about. Thanks so much for watching and for listening. We'll see you next time. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference. Thanks so much for sharing this time with us, for giving our guests permission to speak, and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. I'm Linda Laurel, reminding you that our voices matter.